Hello, my name is Justin the Clue, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to the Important Cinema Club, and it's a very special time of year. It is Big Denver. Big Denver. That's it's- right. Last week we were going back and forth. Should it be Big December? Yeah, because it's December. Which is technically the correct version. Or should it be Big Denver, which mm. sounds funnier? The people have spoke. Big Denver is what it is, as many people pointed out, because it sounds like a mistake, and also it sounds like there's like dicks somewhere in there with yeah. the Denver. But not on this episode. Episode because we are doing an episode on the queen of the rom-com Nancy Myers and Big Denver is all about like big big filmmakers big big subjects that you know and people and love. may go wait romantic comedies is that such a big film well let me tell you folks Nancy Myers has directed exactly six feature-length films they are the parent trap what women want something's got to give the holiday it's complicated and the intern and every single one of those has hit and certain ones may have made less in their theatrical runs than others certain ones may not have quite made a hundred million dollars but you've heard of all six of those movies you've probably seen all six of those movies and if you put any of those movies on the front page of a streaming channel right now it would get a billion views Nancy Myers, her name is often used kind of derisively, where people are like, oh, it's a Nancy Myers film. But people need to understand that these films are massive. When you go to maybe your mother's house and you sit down in front of a streaming service and you're like, what do you want to watch? Oftentimes, and it happened to me, you go, ah, the holiday. That's inoffensive. Everybody will enjoy this, right? But this happens millions of times in December. That's why putting artistic value aside of all the big name brand Hollywood auteurs, I think Nancy Myers is the safest investment a streaming service could make. As we'll discuss at the end of this episode, some of them don't want to make that gamble. Which I say... What are you guys doing? Look, I'd rather they make a Martin Scorsese movie, Mm -hmm. but this is money in the bank. Mm. Nancy Myers, for God's sake. No, but they don't see it that way because because I mean, the story goes that her movies don't make a billion dollars, though, and they don't do it instantly. Her films have a long hold because they survive for such a long time that like people it may not open huge at the box office, but people will continually go see it because they don't want to see the big new superhero thing. And they're like, oh, this, you know, we can kind of agree on this, uh, again, right? The proof is in the pudding. You Folks, you've seen all these movies. They're on the front page of Netflix right now. And did you, by the way, speaking of box office, did you know What Women Want was number four that year at the box office? Well, it, I it, did it, see it, it, it made, at the box office with my mother. It made more than X-Men. Wow. You know, that's how big it was. So Nancy Myers has served traditionally underserved demographics, women and older people. And she makes movies that are designed for maximum comfort. They are comedies in the Shakespearean sense, in in that they're not tragedies. Mm -hmm. There is minimal drama. Minimal comedy, if you ask me. I would agree as well. In fact, not a lot of stuff in these movies for how long they are. And I'm not saying this derisively. Well, maybe I am. But I'm I'm really just describing what they are. But what people need to understand is that Nancy Myers is famous in Hollywood as being the Stanley Kubrick of romantic comedies. So what does that mean? I know her movies can be expensive. Very expensive. For Uh, what they are. Like, does she do a lot of takes like Kubrick? Yeah, she supposedly does a lot of takes. And she always goes over budget. 
And it's because she is so exacting about like, what sweater is that person going to wear that it can take like days just to figure that stuff out. So, I mean, that initially sounds baffling to me because, I mean, look at these movies. But the proof is in the pudding, though. Well, uh, a movie like The Holiday, it's all about vibe. People watch it. Many people watch it over and over and over again because it is a it's certainly not certainly not a dense piece of screenwriting. It's it's uh, the atmosphere. It's. Cameron Diaz's smile. Mm-hmm. It's the lighting. It's the way the, t- the town looks, you and know? The thing about Nancy Meyers' films is that the streaming giants now who are doing putting all these things into production, they don't want to foot the bill because they go, oh, we could just make the cheaper version, which is also clogging up all of Netflix. But the difference is people do not rewatch those movies over and over and over again. They treat them as disposable, and then they just keep moving to the next thing. That's very true. I mean, these movies, as you say, the obvious comparison is Hallmark Christmas movies, the holiday especially, because like a Hallmark Christmas movie, it has the same basic like structure, even though it has a twofold plot. Those mm-hmm. plots have the same basic structure as a Hallmark Christmas movie, and they are about like, you know, they're, they're kind of cloying, and they're kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a vision of Christmas joy that's very like... Oh, lights and the Christmas tree and we got our hot chocolate and our cozy little blanket. Like, yeah, it's all about being cozy. Yeah, and that's not really for me, but a, a lot of people love it. But you're right that nobody watches any of those Hallmark Christmas movies more than once because... Because they're not good. And formally, Nancy Myers movies seem very basic, but that doesn't mean they're poorly made. I mean, if you watch a Hallmark Christmas movie or... or okay, here's a, here's a great auteur, Kevin Smith, mm-hmm. you, who's also a very basic basic auteur and i love bringing him up but like you watch a kevin smith movie and you're very conscious of the static photography the bad lighting the clumsy editing rhythm and that's not the case with nancy myers you're never really conscious of the filmmaking craft unless you tell yourself to look for it or you are kind of looking for it because you try to argue in your mind like this is not a movie for me look how rich everybody is or look at the holiday the glow over everything that is being presented on screen but because it's designed for maximum comfort like you're not supposed to think about how it's being made but the movies are beautifully lit and composed even when or especially when there's almost nothing to look at Mm -hmm. like how many times in these movies do you see just one person in the frame one movie star and like she likes close-ups more than Ingmar Bergman does, you know, <laughs> and and given how little there is to look at, there always somehow seems to be something to look at. Like you do you do look at these movies. Steve Martin tells a story that when he was on It's Complicated, he had to reshoot a bunch of scenes because she didn't like the way the makeup looked on his face. That's how exacting that she is. And the thing is. The proof is in the pudding. Mm-hmm. Like, she loves putting you in an actor's presence and making you just revel in what they look like. She's making movie star movies. Oh, yeah. And I guess the studios don't want that anymore. They want superhero films where the superhero can be slotted out with another actor if the need demands it. Well, the form and the content is in perfect synthesis in these Nancy Myers movies because, you know, those Hallmark Christmas movies, everyone looks a little haggard. Mm. The lighting is very cheap. And it feels cheap. Yeah, it's cheap. Yeah. But these, a movie like It's Complicated is lush and beautiful and... 
every all the actors are perfectly lit and made up but in a way that doesn't fundamentally obscure how they look so you look at meryl streep and alec baldwin in that movie they look their ages but she gives you the best version of how they actually look nancy myers creates fantasies and i think that's really important for people to understand fantasies by the way with a foot in reality Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but like this is kind of the ultimate version of these lives and that the viewer can live vicariously through just experience the movie mm-hmm. now the hallmark movies would claim they're creating fantasies but you're basically just looking at a kind of cheap plastic knockoff and the viewer knows this is not real they still enjoy that but nancy myers is going the extra step and she wants you to live in these worlds and also in fairness to nancy myers unlike the hallmark movies nancy myers is actually dealing in adult problems mm. and adult emotions yeah which the hallmark movies never do the hallmark movies and we read fred olin ray's book about making tv christmas movies where he says something like listen the the craft is you can never hear about the leading lady's ex-boyfriends you can never hear about the leading man's ex-girlfriends like it is a true fantasy like those all those hallmark movies where it's like a, a busy career woman goes back to the town or like a, a barista <laughs> Go, goes to goes to some European village and marries yeah. a prince or something. Those movies are hermetically sealed, and they're basically like Three Stooges shorts that the world cannot exist beyond it. Yeah, and they, they truly are fantasies, and everyone looks a little haggard. Whereas in these Nancy Myers movies, they are about, you know, middle-aged people dealing with complicated emotions, and it's complicated as about... But it's not that dramatic, though. No, no, but... but they deal in emotions that the Hallmark Christmas movies would Will shy away touch, from. Yeah. And the, the makers of the Hallmark Christmas movies would say, you can't have these emotions in a movie because they're not comfortable. But clearly people want that in movies. They want complicated emotions where they don't actually have to wrestle with too much stuff. Yeah. So it's like a weird balancing act that, you know, the Hallmark producers just avoid completely because right. they don't have to deal with it. And that's why I think the Nancy Myers movies are much better than Hallmark Christmas movies and also not as, in my opinion, not as good mm-hmm. as... A, a lot of things now that's just my take folks so nancy myers started as a screenwriter and she has like two like big recognizable films private benjamin and father of the bride have you ever seen father of the bride oh when i was a kid yeah because yeah. it was probably on vhs it was on like problem yeah. child it was on tv like perennially mm-hmm. father of the bride too also I, I mean she also wrote baby boom with mm-hmm. diane keaton which i'm old enough to remember when that was a movie that was still in the kind of conversation and your favorite film jumping jack flash <laughs> that's right <laughs> We watched that on an early episode, didn't we? We also have... Private Benjamin has kind of faded out of public view, hasn't yeah, it? But I see it and I recognize what it is. Yeah. Because it was present enough for me to be like, oh, I know that movie. The other films are like, I Love Trouble, Once Upon a Crime, Protocol. Irreconcilable Differences. That's the movie that's based on Peter Bogdanovich that's and right. Polly Platt. Wait, did I? I'm surprised I haven't seen this. I we feel should, like we've got to do a Patreon episode on that. I want to see that. But, you know, people may be emailing me right now being like, I love Protocol. It is very important. But to my eyes, and based on my history, very male, I don't recognize any of these. Like, people are not bringing up Once Upon a Crime from 1992, directed by Eugene Levy. Yeah, I don't I don't think people watch that. But Father of the Bride, I saw an interview with Martin Short where he said... Yeah, he's recognized for that the most, well, he, right? he was talking about Clifford specifically. I think he said this in multiple interviews where he's like, people come up to you at an airport and you can immediately tell, you can immediately clock what they're going to say. And if it's like a middle-aged housewife, she's going to say Father father of the bride if it's like a stoned college kid he's gonna say clifford uh, <laughs> and so when she started directing she did it with a remake of the parent trap which we did not watch and and i have not seen 
because we are not the right age for it. Yeah, listen, I was nine years old at the time, and that movie was for girls. Folks. Yeah, so you're like, no, thank you. I watched movies for boys, like Small Soldier, Super Mario Brothers. That's right. <laughs> and I'm sure it's great. I feel though, if we would try to discuss it now, the the love for it is so strong that we we would slip up. <laughs> yeah, maybe I wouldn't want to disappoint anybody by not liking mm. that. Something's got to give. We did see and we discussed on our Jack Nicholson episode. Yeah, I saw something's got to give the. With <laughs> did my you see mom. it on like a beat up 35 millimeter print goes the story? I, I did actually, yeah. And I also remember <laughs> I, I have all my Will Sloan lore down. So, so I, no, I I saw I saw it opening weekend theatrically with my mom, and I remember uh, it was like the, a day or two after Christmas, and we went to the theater. It was in some small town in Ontario near this cottage that we had rented, and uh, a woman came out of the theater, an older woman, and she said. Oh, you two are going to love this movie. It's full of belly laughs. And then she looked at me. I was 14 and she said, it might be a little sexy for the younger one, though. <laughs> was it? I mean, you see Jack Nicholson's ass. <laughs> you see Jack Nicholson's ass. That's true. And I, I was able to handle it, believe it or not. But then about seven or eight weeks later, I was at, you know, my local multiplex. And I just like slipped into something's got to give for a few minutes. As one does. And yeah, like I remember just how like they, they wore that print into the ground. <laughs> that movie was such a hit that movie was like the old person movie of the year and it, it was like it was like watching the grindhouse version <laughs> it should be illegal that there isn't a new nancy myers film every two years during christmas yeah like that would be the uniform choice of a family trying to make up their mind being like why don't we just see this yeah it's and about it movie stars it would open at 10 million dollars mm -hmm. and it would make 200 million dollars by the end of its run i know but that's not what studios want they want like a hundred million dollar oh, opening man and they're wrong but we did watch for this episode the holiday which i'm gonna assume not the first time you've seen it no it was the first time well, it I was? seen it i I have never seen the holiday. Wow. <laughs> How many times have you seen the holiday? Two, three times, probably. Okay. Two with significant others and or family members where it's like, hey, the holidays on the front page of Netflix. Well, put it on last night with my girlfriend who was doing some knitting next to me. And I <laughs> Classic Nancy Myers. And I thought, this is great. I'm going to watch the holiday with an actual woman. Wow. And as I began it, she said, I think I've seen this movie. I think I don't like it. And oh, then as wow. it went on, she continued not liking it. And she kept being, she kept saying like, God, this is such bullshit shit that Cameron Diaz gets Jude Law, but Kate Winslet only gets Jack, Jack Black. Black. <laughs> like, and, this and, nerdy man boy. Yeah, and can I just say before we even get into the plot, I hated Jack Black in this movie. I think everybody kind of hates Jack Black in this movie. The scene, you see the, him and you're like, I see myself. <laughs> you, you know what I see? I see the old, like, ossified version of myself mm -hmm. doing the same old shtick. Yeah. Does that scene when he's at the video store and he's, yeah. like, picking up DVDs and, like, riffing about the music in the movies? I wanted to kill myself. Oh, that's in Morricone. Well, All right. Also, the movies that he's picking up, what, what's the old man taste that this Jack Black character has? <laughs> where he's like, Chariots of Fire, great movie, Vangelis, mm -hmm. The Mission. <laughs> yep. And then you get a Dustin Hoffman cameo. I liked that. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. What's uh, the holiday about? The holiday is about two women that are having some complications in their lives. Cameron Diaz, a super rich trailer editor and i gotta say watching the trailer she edits in this movie not very good nice to hear the soothing voice of dawn lafontaine though mm -hmm. you know but she's having some problems in her own romantic life her uh, she breaks up with her boyfriend played by edward burns who his main role is to be the boyfriend that gets broken up with remember when we had an ed, ed burns kind of wave following save it private ryan and he was an indie darling ed burns was going to be like the new woody allen mm -hmm. he, he was he was making 
those like talky indie films. Yeah, and, and like uh, his first one. What was it called again? The Brothers McMullen. It was a huge hit and was made for nothing. It was like an El Mariachi of like the Sundance. Like, can you believe he shot this like in his kitchen? Yeah, I'm hoping for an Ed Burns comeback. I think, <laughs> oh, okay. I think we can get it. Yeah. But he gets kicked out of the movie. And then we also have it's a, a split film because Kate Winslet is in love with her boss, who she used to date. And when she learns that he's getting married, she has her own breakdown. So she rents like proto Airbnb style, her, her like cottage in the English countryside to Cameron Diaz. And then she takes Cameron Diaz's LA mansion. And then when Cameron Diaz is in rural England, she meets Kate Winslet's brother, Jude Law, who is very charming, who is well, a beautiful man. Yes. I, I couldn't believe how good he looks in this film. <laughs> and, and by the way, Cameron Diaz also, I mean, the main direction to her seems to have been Smile. Yes. Which she does excellently. Mm -hmm. And the two of them are great together. Jude Law off, and uh, Cameron Diaz. Yes. Off the charts chemistry, I thought. Again, nothing happens. Well, there's a few reveals like, oh no, Jude Law seems to be like a drunk kind of swinger. But later on, it's revealed he actually has two adorable children. This started to annoy me as it went along. This is the most Hallmark Christmas Channel aspect of this movie where it's like, okay, can Jude Law have a single flaw? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like... Well, the flaw is he has two adorable children. He has two adorable children and Cameron Diaz says, are you divorced? And he said, no, I'm a widower. And yeah, that's so the, he and, has no moral that's, issues. That's the moment where I was like, give me a fucking break. Let, <laughs> let him be divorced. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, Kate Winslet is kind of being romanced by Jack Black, but the real romance romance it's with eli wallach right and i think this is both the best part of the movie and the movie's biggest problem which is that her and jack black doa as a couple well, it feels like the movie knows this because like jack uh, black hardly has any screen time yeah cameron diaz doesn't have a secondary plot while she's in england yeah while kate winslet has a very big plot with eli wallach who plays an old retired screenwriter who has become a bit of a shut-in and she's trying to convince him to go to a big lifetime achievement tribute dinner mm -hmm. and eli Wallach. What can you say? He's great. He's great. Love yep. him. Also, very little tension in this stretch of the movie, too. Nope. The big tension of this movie is, will he make it up five stairs? And he does. And he does. With aplomb. And the movie is well over two hours. Two hours and 11 minutes. Somebody could have told this both these stories in 80 minutes. Yes. And pumped in a little more drama. But mm -hmm. that's obviously not what it's about. Nancy Myers doesn't like drama. Yeah. She, she doesn't she like doesn't. it. She doesn't. And yeah. the people who love this movie also don't want that. This movie is very pleasant wallpaper. This is a Yule log video for the holidays. Yes. I mean, Cameron Diaz <laughs> literally lights a fireplace and it like zooms in because it's like, this is what you want, right? This yeah. fireplace. And I'll tell you, three of the four stars I think are excellent mm. and look great and are beautifully lit. Oh man, you're hate against Jack Black. Actually, four of the five stars <laughs> would you include Eli Wallach. Mm -hmm. Well, Jack Black, I, he just got nothing to work with in this movie. He's got nothing to work with. I don't want to hate on him too bad. I just think it reminded me a like, little- I don't even think they kiss properly, right? Like there's they not even little, any romance there. No, there's just there's there's nothing, and it, it's it's a failed experiment. And Jack Black's riffing is kind of like when Robin Williams got old and was sort of like an imitator of himself. Mm -hmm. But you, Jack Black's only like 32. Now, here. if Kate Winslet had then gotten together with Eli Wallach, I'd be all for I it. I kind of would have enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. Or like they could like that should have been forget Jack Black. It should have just been about those two, and it could have been platonic. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, like it is in a later film, The Intern, but you watch The Holiday and you can understand why people go back to it again and again. I definitely get why people go back to it. It's easy. It's undemanding. It's very nice looking. Now, the story with the odd names of these movies, like Something's Gotta Give, The Holiday, they are supposedly picked by a marketing firm based on the finished product. That when Nancy Myers makes her film, they're just untitled Nancy Meyer film. And then later on, they try to figure out what would be the most evocative, easy to understand title that would get the most people through the door. Something's gotta give. Yeah, but like The Holiday. Yeah. Like, people go to it, I think, because it's called The Holiday. Right. And there's something very declarative about, like, this is this is, this is is the holiday movie. Well, something's got to give. Like, people may have gone to it or rented it saying stuff like, I love as good as it gets. Oh, yeah. That's also, something's got to give was the title of the movie that Marilyn Monroe was making when she died that was unfinished. Oh, uh, wow. Something's really? got to give. Which I, I always just assume that maybe Nancy Myers picked that because she liked... Old Hollywood. Old Hollywood. Yeah, I don't know. And then we move to It's Complicated, which in the films that we're talking about today is the most Nancy Myers-ish film. Will, you don't understand. You're not a 50-plus extremely rich white person. <laughs> if you were, you could probably relate more to this picture. Okay, I didn't hate this movie or anything. Yeah. The, the movie, it's perfectly fine. Do you know fine. how much money this movie made, It was Will? massive. A huge $200 million, I think. I mean, and that's great. Because again, serving underserved audiences, women and old people. Rich people. O old, <laughs> old women. Yes. Well, it's, yeah, rich people, but it's kind of like, it's obviously like back in the 30s when mm -hmm. the Great Depression was happening and you'd have all these movies that are like Fred Astaire and some It's mansion. Complicated came out like right when the recession hit too. <laughs> yeah. Which there were some movies like Confessions of a Shopaholic or uh, Sex on the City 2 that suffered mm -hmm. because of the recession hitting. But not, it's complicated. People <laughs> yeah. were just just rushing to the screen to see Charisma Dynamo, Alec Baldwin, act like a real cad. Well, he's just doing his 30 Rock character. Yeah, so what's the plot of It's Complicated, Will? Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin are a long-divorced couple, and they've been thrust back together because one of their kids is graduating. Mm. And during this, which happens, you know, right in Midtown Manhattan, they've got the fanciest schmanciest hotel room. I like I mean, at one point they're like, oh, we're just throwing them a little party. And it's like the biggest house party you've ever seen. Yeah, it's like you're not getting, I mean, listen, I think what they should have done is Airbnb, like a guy's guest room in Flushing. And, <laughs> and they then had sex all, there. All yeah, yeah. I th that would have been amusing to me, personally. That's not how Nancy Myers works, though. Yeah. Because in this world, they're renting, like, the best hotels to go have trysts. But Alec hey, we're here to see nice things, yeah. aren't we? Alec Baldwin is in a relationship with a younger woman who has a son, which you would think would create kind of, like, dramatic conflict. Not really. No. It, it, in fact, that they Alec break Baldwin up off screen. off screen and you never see them again. Yeah. It's like, don't think about it. Meryl Streep is having a fun time in this movie, doing her thing. She never sings, though. So, But then, so they get back together, sort of. They're having an affair. Mm. But then she also develops an interest in her architect. That's right. She has an architect played by Steve Martin. Not being funny. No, totally straight. I think quite charming. I think he's fine. Yeah. yeah. He's a wet blanket in this movie. But yeah. I think Steve he Martin, he's charming. Steve Martin, I think, handles his big dramatic beat at the end of the movie quite effectively, mm -hmm. I thought. Steve Martin hasn't done enough dramatic work. I agree, the Spanish prisoner. Oh, he's amazing yeah. in that. And in this movie, like, it basically builds to the big reveal to the family of, oh my God, we're having an affair. I think the children don't take it very well no. as a child of divorce. The fact that they're like, we're still getting over the divorce that happened 
10 years ago and they're adults like get I, over it kids i don't know justin i've seen some things in my day it, yeah. it, it, it sometimes it does destroy a family and they're if, they, if your parents came to you right now and said we're getting together mm-hmm. how would you react to i'd that? be like wow that's very surprising but i'm happy if you guys are happy that's good that's what you're, i would you're say you're a good and mature person yeah but like these kids like all get under the blanket in one bed that's yeah. a little weird yeah i agree but yeah this film it ends in a positive place there's no really ill feelings between anybody and i will say again compared to the hallmark christmas movies the ending of this movie is more textured more mature than any of those movies and the big dramatic conflict beyond them having an affair is will meryl streep get a new kitchen in her house her, her gigantic her kitchen looked freaking big enough to me yeah. yeah she's like finally a real kitchen where she owns a bakery that is like the biggest like artisan bakery you've ever seen oh and she God. seems to do no work there yeah yeah <laughs> but listen again fantasies this is what people want you know just and, and living in this all, world i think all the stars are very good alec baldwin i think is excellent mm-hmm. doing his thing doing a shtick that he yeah, does yeah the big comedic scene in this is oh man oh, they god. smoke pot oh god so okay yeah i don't care for this movie this is the lamest shit <laughs> two old people smoke pot here's the thing and then, and then later, the target audience. Yeah, they love outrageous. This. Yeah, they love, and this. that's great for them. Or the other big comedic set piece where it's Alec Baldwin nude in front of a laptop, and uh oh, the wrong person picks up the Skype screen. What? It's like the Marx Brothers. Will you don't see it right there? Yeah, it's exactly like the Marx Brothers. There's a funny line where he tells a doctor that he takes medication and it affects his sperm, and then he says, "Oh, my wife, she loves sperm." And the doctor looks at Meryl Streep, and then she's like, "Yeah, I, I, I like." there to be a lot of sperm that's a funny joke i did i did laugh a bit of that and i could just feel you know the audience at the princess cinema (laughs) in in, in kitchener ontario bursting into spontaneous applause Mm -hmm. and finally we have her 2015 her last directorial effort to date the intern and in my opinion her best her best film having not seen the parent trap Mm -hmm. but i have having seen all the others i like the intern the best probably because there's a man's man that you can you know hook yourself onto in robert de niro right hey jack nicholson was a man's man yeah alec baldwin i don't remember something's got to (laughs) give like and we we discussed it you can you you can remember for me by just going to the jack nicholson episode of this podcast but i think that's Nancy Myers thing as well is that it comes on you in waves. So you go back to it because you go, I remember seeing that. I don't remember exactly what you happens. You remember the feeling it. because exactly. nothing actually happens in them, but mm-hmm. they they evoke a feeling. But the intern, this movie has been discussed as like Robert De Niro. He actually commits to a performance. I've been hearing that rumbling for years. When Tarantino put this film on like his best of list of the year, I believe, which created waves at the time. And I got to say, Robert De Niro, I thought was excellent. So charming as a retired man who's widowed and looking for, you know, something to fill the hole in his life. Because and he, he, he hits a particular note. Like oftentimes I think De Niro in his later years can be a bit of a like wet blanket screen presence. Well, he's just not trying. Joyless. Yeah. And, but there's there's something like he's very gentle in this movie. Gentle. That's so weird, right? Like the gentle Robert De Niro, which yeah. you never, ever see. Quite, quite sweet. Yeah. Is that because like Meet the Parents was such a hit that like comedically people want that out of Robert De Niro? I guess, but then also there are just so many movies, like there are so many sort of nothing movies where I feel like he's not engaged Mm. at all. But I also think it's because 
beyond meet the parents he's also known as like the tough guy and that's yeah. what people want out of him yeah this kind of commanding presence which turns into hey i'm here robert yeah 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 but here he does exactly what's asked of him he's a charming older man that's going hey you kids better wear a suit when you go to work because that's the way you know real men do it so this movie called the intern is about robert de niro as an older like a 70 year old guy who takes part in an internship program for seniors at a Brooklyn-based startup, which started with a mere 25 employees. Yes, and now, 18 months later, has 200 employees. Hey, starting with 25 employees is not a small thing movie. Are are you telling me that Gold Ninja Video doesn't have an office somewhere that has, like... (laughs) 200 employees? No, no. We have thousands now that we're, like, five years down the road. And this company is run by Anne Hathaway, a real... Girl boss, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you could Mm. say that. But, you know, she's having trouble balancing home life and career. And you hear the premise, Robert De Niro is a 70-year-old intern and Anne Hathaway is his boss. And you think, there are going to be laughs about this. Yeah, lots of fish-out-of-water comedy. This is a high-concept premise. No. No. No laughs. The only thing that comes out of it is that Robert De Niro at one point is like, I'm not sure how to start my computer. But other than that, he's fine. No issues. And everyone loves him at the office. I kept waiting for him to be like, this is how we used to do it and we can still apply it now. Not really. He just a good worker. And maybe it's because this is the first of the three movies I watched for this, but I found this quite pleasant and charming. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, mean, I liked the dynamic between him and his like friends at the office. I liked the dynamic between him and Anne Hathaway. All of his white friends. There are well, no non-white people in these movies. It is crazy that as late as 2015, these movies are so white. Nancy Myers did an interview saying like, well, you know, I was just portraying on screen my circles of friends it's like oh boy nancy no (laughs) yeah woody allen has given that excuse too yeah yeah i mean that's more on you than like an excuse for the way that your movies look this movie 121 minutes Way too long. Way too long, but also exactly the right length for what it's doing. Like, <laughs> we'll love the intern. No, here, like, here's the thing. These movies are sculpting in time. Mm-hmm. These movies are about sitting in them for this long. Yeah. And I mean, it would be letting, hell for me to work at this kind of place, like a startup. Yeah, I'm, I wouldn't want to work at this place. But, no. but it's about like this movie is about living life with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway. Becoming over, friends. No yeah. romantic relationship. Not even a father daughter relationship. That's right. Just for which I think the movie does very well. And that scene, the big emotional scene between between the two of them. What about Robert De Niro just watching Singing in the Rain as tears rise to his I eyes? Think it works. It, it works. works perfectly. Something that doesn't work in this movie. Boy, the relationship Anne Hathaway has with her husband. Woo, um, P.U. Dump um, that loser. Yeah, I so I agree with you, but I actually think the movie resolves it in a way that I found to get back together at the end. Well, yeah, but like with a lot of acknowledgement of that it will be a long road ahead. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I found it convincing enough. Yeah. Again, this is a filmmaker who deals in adult problems. Yeah. In in a light way. Well, I mean, Nancy Myers also wouldn't want there to be a breakup at the end of her movie and leaves things hanging. Like there is a promise of something ahead. Everyone is happy. Robert De Niro has not become a union buster yet, which will probably happen a few months from when. the movie ends but a lot of these movies end on a sort of optimistic but uncertain note Mm -hmm. like the holiday does as well which is like that's not how the hallmark movies would end and no the hallmarks are definitive and i think that's one of the reasons these movies have the resonance that they have and that's it the intern is the last film nancy myers made even though it was a huge hit huge hit and relative to its cost, $35 yeah. million, dollars and it made $200 million at the box office. Okay, there you go. But it, it recently, was it not even a couple of years ago? That, I think it was like, last year. She was supposed to make a $130 million Netflix movie. 
or some streaming giant and she couldn't get the budget down and they said all right we're not gonna make your movie then bananas to me now yeah. i could see on paper they're like but we're making all these cheap romantic films and people are watching those so why should we invest in this one it's like but you don't have movies like this beyond the ones that nancy myers made nancy myers she has the magic touch she knows how to make these movies they're like oh we'll just turn around and make david fincher we'll, we'll make you know his 170 million dollar movie instead i mean would i rather have the david fincher movie yes <laughs> yes but if i'm looking at this like a hard-hatted businessman mm -hmm. i would say nancy myers is the safest investment but it wasn't a choice between david fincher or or her they could easily do both of them absolutely Money does not exist for these companies it is all at the whims of the executives who are like well the nancy myers films are not serious so we don't want to invest in those i mean they should get me to run these companies yeah you know? <laughs> to a nancy Meyer film every year yeah all right so as per usual you can send us emails at important cinema club podcast at gmail.com Chris and he goes, Hey, Justin and Will, I was listening to some old Shocktober episodes recently and came across a segment in which a letter writer asked about programming a hypothetical film that no one would attend. You'd both said that someone will always show up as long as it's advertised. You will be right. See, did I say that? Cause I don't, I don't believe that. Yeah. I wouldn't stand by that. Yeah. I think we said every movie is someone's favorite movie. So maybe someone will show up. I wouldn't stand by that either. I, I would stand. I send Will all the time. Someone being like, this is my favorite film of like the, <laughs> most disposable forgettable trash <laughs> you would be right seeing as i immediately thought back to this summer when i was the only person in attendance at a screening of jerry lewis's the nutty professor on a beautiful 75 degree and sunny afternoon in new york city well that's surprising i would think nutty professor uh, would york. bring more people out in yeah. new york i think jerry's got fans too having watched the nutty professor recently i don't know maybe those people had as well and they're like well we can't go see it again in the theater well i assume that any cinephile is kind of regularly watching the nutty <laughs> professor so i ask you this have there been any screenings you've attended where at some point you said to yourself what have i done with my life why is this what i love love the pod and all yada yada chris yeah all the time yeah that's an interesting question i've reached the point and i've said this before that i've been sitting at a movie at the cineplex by myself on like a weekday and 20 minutes in i go i don't want to watch this anymore and just left mm -hmm. because i'm like it's not worth it i'm not enjoying it maybe in my mind i thought oh this movie everyone says is bad i bet i'll find value in it and i'm like nah it's not worth it i had that strong feeling about 10 years ago when i went to see the pixar movie brave which i was dutifully going to see all the pixar movies yes. at that point that was in the kind of like are the pixar movies still gonna be good yeah it was like wally -E and all those movies were still pretty fresh in memory but they had cars too and i remember going to see brave and thinking why am i th this it's this, not working this is for this is for children children mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not for me so i definitely had that feeling also I i'm not disparaging this too much because i actually had I, I had some fun at this screening but last week when i went to go see terminator 3 rise of the machines at the kingsway on a 35 millimeter print that was water damaged what which was the best part of it yes it was great seeing that distortion i sent that clip that you posted online to mike wood because i asked him like were you there because he always goes to the screen he's like no i hate terminator 3 which is strong words from mike who doesn't hate anything but he went oh if it looked like that i would have gone if i had known that <laughs> well i preserved a bait on my phone basically yeah. the best part of it but yeah when i was watching terminator 3 a movie that nobody really likes that i saw in first run didn't really like then on 35 millimeter yeah. then as well still don't really like <laughs> yeah you know i did, did you start questioning like why am i here i did ask that and then i thought well i wasn't doing anything else tonight <laughs> <laughs>
that, there and, you and go. And then I also thought, I really like the popcorn here, mm. you know? So The thing about when I'm usually sitting in a, a Cineplex and I'm like, I, I use my free ticket or whatever or my points, I always think I could be doing something else. Like, I could be watching a movie that I like. That is a good feeling to have. And long ago, I gave up on the habit of watching all the Best Picture nominees mm -hmm. because they're bad. Yeah. I or mean, the ones that I don't want to see. Yeah, that they're nominated, and you're like, I got to see it, because, you know, the darkest hour. Right. Like, I used to be going, you know, trudging out to see Atonement, or The Reader, or stuff like that. And I love how we roasted two Joe Wright films, The Reader, <laughs> Atonement, and The Darkest Hour. Well, I'm sorry if he's a listener. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, you don't need to do that. You're not going to get anything out of it. The only thing that you will remember or hold with you is... Oh, why did I watch that movie? Yes. Because <laughs> it was nominated for Best Picture. Well, thank you very much for that letter. And uh, yeah, if that feeling hits you, I would say get up, leave the theater. Yes. Because you know what? You will be happier. You could go do something else. Mm -hmm. And looking back, you won't be like, why did I not sit and watch that 35 millimeter screening? I have a controversial one, which is I was watching. It was a Tartakovsky movie. Really? On 35 millimeter. It was so hot in the theater, and every time I shifted in my seat, the guy in front of me turned back and looked at me. Oh. And I was like, this is not That's very it. unpleasant. What yeah. was the movie? It was... Was it Andre Rublev? It was Andre Rublev. I, yes. asked, I asked that specifically because that's the hardest one. Yes. Well, I had, I've, I've already seen that movie, and that was a screening because remember they had shown it digitally, mm. and as an apology, they showed it on print later on. You and know I what? saw the print one. I think you I saw was, it digitally. I, I, no. Wait, did I? I yes. think I might have been at that screening, though. No, you were at the digital one. Okay. Because I went to the print one, and I was alone. No one else was there. And oh. I remember going right after work, and I was very tired. And I'm like, I, I can't do... Like, it's not worth it. Like, and I just left. And it's good, because, like, you can have a better experience at with, home, that, with yeah. that same movie yes. somewhere else. You know, I could hire a friend to sit at the front and, like, turn and look at me every time <laughs> I shifted in my seat. So our next letter is from... Theodore, and it goes, Guten Tag, once again, you two kinotastic, wonderful souls. That's us. Yeah, that's us. During the fall, I've been attending film class studies at Film Huset, the film house in Stockholm. Now, after listening to your downright horror stories on the subject involving smudgy DVD print watching in sterile classrooms, I was a bit trepidatious, but I couldn't be more happier since we're blessed with our two separate theaters and yummy original prints for more or less every film we've seen thus far, ranging from Sherlock Jr. to a Man Escape, and tons of odd ones like Awara and The Hitchhiker in between. Whoa, that's cool. The Hitchhiker, the... Um, Ida Lupino one? Yeah, yeah. So... When you were in film school, did you watch prints of films, Other, like in class? Ex not exceedingly rarely. Mm -hmm. So at Innes College at the University of Toronto, they do have a 35 millimeter projector and a 16 millimeter projector. And I remember in first year university, it was almost always DVD, except for one week when we saw Run Lola Run on a print. And, <laughs> yeah. and occasionally, every now and then, like I remember I took a documentary class and I think we watched... Oh, was it the Robert Flaherty film Moana on a 60 millimeter print, like without sound, mm. which was not the greatest experience. But Aguilar would go, this is the way it's meant to be watched. I know. And Anthology Film Archives in New York still follows that rule. I went to see a Ziga Vertov film there oh. once 
completely silent and thinking, oh my God, like, <laughs> you start playing music in your head yeah. just to accompany it. <laughs> the letter continues, I've already had some incredibly fun and interesting conversations with like-minded students and particularly with one of my professors whose main writing is the exploitation field where he focuses most of his time on sex and queer representation in Ed Wood and Doris Wishman's filmographies. So thanks for, to you guys. I was somewhat schooled and backpack kid ready for that little talk. Nice. Wow, nice. I've made it more or less a ritual to listen to your episodes on any topic we've covered in class afterwards. Ozu, Arzner, Brasson. I don't know if that would be the best recommendation, but other than to be like, these guys don't know what they're talking about (laughs) after a university course. On my commute home, since you sons of a guns have such a fantastic body of work going through it all. And yet after my lovely Gertrude screening the other week, I noticed a gap. Seems that I can't find a dryer episode, no matter how much I scroll. No, we've never done dryer. We've never done dryer. I like dryer. Yeah, I love dryer. Yeah. I'm sure we'll do them in the next year. I saw a screening of Joan of Arc and it was silent, but they had like, I think it was like throat singers throughout. I was there. Oh, you were there? Yeah. <laughs> that was a that fun was one. That was very early in the round of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> very much enjoyed. Wait, you were there too? Because I went because... Dan Peter... Berube gave us tickets. Oh, yes. Yeah. For some reason, I was like, Peter Kaplowski's parents got us tickets, but no, it was Dan Berube who got yeah, them. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That was a very... Great experience. Great experience. Especially like such a novel way. Like you'll never see the movie like that again. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to it. I really love his camera moves and his editing schemes. It's very fun. I have a book of criticism he wrote that's sitting on my shelf also so. uh, the movie gertrude is how i intend to live my life okay just alone but defiant <laughs> at the end <laughs> perhaps it's a patreon one i've missed and need to throw a coin or two for i digress i will do better we agree you get you throw a coin or yeah. two to the patreon speaking of patreon do we or do we have more letters you know what we can make this well we've been going long on nancy myers but he does have a side question here could you name a good example of a female auteur working before the text became law so to speak so i think he means like auteur theory oh a female auteur my other professor had a hard time cracking that nut and wonder if you have any clear-cut choices well i mean it's gotta be dorothy arzner right Mm. like i think if you watch those movies carefully you would probably see recurring themes themes or maybe at least visual strategies yep so go up to your teacher and be like dorothy arzner gotcha a plus please but i mean there are so few female directors in Mm -hmm. in hollywood i'm sure there's a lot more that you could go through like if you get like a dictionary of like women filmmakers you'll find a lot especially early on and in other countries as well that were doing it before the auteur theory became text and i mean i assume that the letter writer is not thinking of like maya darren or people who are working he means like before the auteur oh yeah Maya Darren like people who are working in mainline Hollywood studio system that were able to kind of smuggle in yeah you know their themes and things like that mm-hmm. all right so thank you very much for that letter hopefully we gave you some ammunition to bring to your next class if you want to send us letters again it is important cinema club podcast at gmail.com so what are we doing on a patreon this week will well last week which we didn't plug last week Justin and I went to go see Jay Leno live. Drove four hours, got a hotel, and just to see Jay Leno. That's all we did. And you may be asking why on a movie podcast? Well, Jay Leno starred in the movie Collision Course. Uh, uh, Absolutely. And a very important part of his kind of mythos is that he's a stand-up, but he's never recorded his stand-up. And he cannot stop doing stand-up. And everyone always says he was one of the greatest stand-ups of the 80s. And when he was a host of The Tonight Show, he sandpapered all his edges. He became mediocre. Mm-hmm. But 
all the time he was hosting the Tonight Show, he would like on weekends he'd be in Toluca Lake or something. He doing still stand-up. does it every two weeks at like Flappers in L.A., like Burbank. You can just go see Jay at a small comedy club, and he's going to be doing jokes. Yeah. So, but we saw him in a five thousand seat casino theater, and he did it for a hundred minutes. Did we like it? Well, you're going to have to listen to the episode where we do it live from before the show and after the show. Our opinions of it. And then we'll also be doing a Patreon episode for this week about Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. We are looking at the Christmas canon and deciding what is... Is naughty is, or nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to go through a list that we find online and we're just going to decide like naughty or nice. Does this deserve to be there or is it just there because they don't have enough Christmas movies and they need something recognizable? So you can listen and you can decide if you agree with us. And if you don't, then that's... You the, keep I, it on the inside. Yeah, I don't. It's not my problem. <laughs> no. So you can check that out at patreon.com slash the important cinema club next week. Speaking of Christmas, we're doing, you know, a Christmas classic, right? Will or many of them. That's right. We are going to be talking about Christmas Carol movies, movies based on the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. There are so many Christmas Carol adaptations. Now, did this episode start because I went, I need a reason for to force Will to watch the horrifyingly bad Robert Zemeckis A Christmas Carol? Yes. But also, I was watching a Muppet Christmas Carol, which I was like, we need to discuss on the episode, do we? Did I we mean, do a Patreon one on it? I don't know if we did, but I mean, it's one of the... Maybe it's we, the best one, We probably should discuss it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's my favorite. It's really popular, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we, we got to talk about the Alistair Sim Yeah, that's the one that, like, my stepmom, who's not really that much into movies, like, she likes movies, but she doesn't have that many, like, oh, that's my favorite, I need to watch it all the time. She loves that one, and we would watch it every Christmas. And I just want to say, I did see the Jim Carrey, Robert Zemeckis one in a theater. Oh, on 35mm. A beautiful, <laughs> shimmering 35mm film, but I can't wait to revisit it. Me and Emily watched it a number of years ago, and 45 minutes in, I'm like, that's enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> did I turn it up what if jim carrey could play every role badly badly (laughs) (laughs) so that's what we're going to be doing next week till then my name is the clue i'm will sloan thanks for listening Just a reminder that we are aiming to get 850 patrons this month. So if you're not a Patreon subscriber, now's the best time to do it because there may be maybe a little surprise if we are able to hit that number. But even with that in mind, I would like to thank our new Patreon subscribers who include Alec Thomas, Duh, John Christian Yates, Sam, Nick Petreca, Matt, Anders Bosca, Conman, Sean Holcomb, Matthew Gregory, James Renfers Frederick, and Star Slug. Thank you very much for becoming Patreon subscribers. We could not keep doing it without you. Well, this past week we both went to see. We went to see brand new films by two of the great Asian filmmakers, two filmmakers who were key to our personal developments, John Woo and Godzilla. Yes. Oh, I forgot about the John Woo one. Rightfully so. I'm springing that on you. We didn't say we were going to discuss the John Woo one, but I kind of want to talk about Mm. it. I've seen it. Silent Night. Before Will. And I told him, oh man, it's bad. And I know Will was going to see it. Of course I'm going to see it. If I was like... 
if it was like the opposite and I had to, I'd be there first night being like, John Woo, John Woo. No, I mean, exactly. Like you tell me that the man who made Hard Boiled, The Killer, A Better Tomorrow, all those films. Paycheck. Hard Target. Yeah. Well, great movie. Which rocks. Yeah. I love Hard, hard target, target rules. If you told me that he has a new movie and it's just a 20 minute walk away from me at the local multiplex, of course I'm going to see it. And I'm going to hope for the best. Especially when I had heard when John Woo's Manhunt was playing at the Toronto National Film Festival, they were like, yeah, he's not here because he's sick. Like they don't think he has much time and this may be like a swan song incorrect he had one more dtv class action movie in him so silent night the gimmick is that it has no dialogue which i think it cheats a little bit at times. yeah there's radio chatter giving you textual information but joel kinnaman who to his credit i think gives it his all mm-hmm. he plays a, a grieving father whose child was killed by some some gangbangers mm-hmm. you know some bad hombres from south of the border yeah, and it's are, a racist film. Are is they what going I'm to deal with that? No, they will not. Do you see those same, same gangsters handing out candy to children? Yes, you One do. One of the most baffling scenes in the movie. It's like children are coming around these gangsters, and I think, oh, they're giving out drugs. Mm-hmm. No, they're giving candy. Yeah, I guess to indoctrinate the children. Oh my god! So the movie starts, and you must go through the feeling that anyone who the, knows they're seeing a bad movie, but they want to like it. The which, seven stages of grief. Yeah, where you're like. This isn't so bad. There's yeah. some visual flair here. Well, yeah, in the early scenes, you're like, I, I recognize John Woo in this, in mm-hmm. this, in this transition, in this dissolve. Now, this film makes a few big stumblings. For example, you hear Silent Night. You're like, ah, uh, yeah, it's going to be over one night. The whole movie will take place. It's going to rule. Incorrect. It's going to take place around Christmas, I think, mm-hmm. that the main character's daughter dies. You're going to watch him prepare for a year to get ready. A year! And I mean, just the plot is a straight ahead, like, no surprises, nothing interesting. Basically, the one interesting thing about the movie is the gimmick. And they waste it on a movie that, like, just... There's nothing going on. Has no novelty, has no interesting take on the material. You kind of forget that they're not talking. Like, it's not like, wow, I can't believe what they're doing with no dialogue. It's like, like, oh, all right, I don't miss it. Like, if the movie had been sort of like The Raid or something, where it's over the course of one night... and yeah, then, that would make sense. And then over time, you sort of figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. That could have been really interesting. And the action scenes, they're fine. They're fine. They're but, not terrible. It feels like a second unit director going, what would John Woo do in this situation? Mm-hmm. Like when there was a fake one I was like, oh, no. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Joel Kinnaman going up the stairs and a killing terrible. a bunch of people. Where it's like, okay, you saw old boy, mm-hmm. and you're going to do the bad version of that. And some people will say, oh, well, it's better than most DTV fare. In that respect, yes, it's much better it's than better, a Bruce Willis yeah, film. It's better than Steven Seagal's later films. Mm-hmm. And you know what else is? Like, your bowel movements. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you want a good DTV action film? I know it came out many, many years ago. Go watch John Hyam's Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, which I'm sure had a much smaller budget than this new John Woo film. Okay. Godzilla minus one, which is dominating the box office right now. Can you believe Shockingly. it? What a world we live in. The box office this week is dominated by Miyazaki and Godzilla. Up is down. Bl- black is white. Now, people may make the argument that there is nothing playing right now. It's like a Hunger Games prequel, a Beyonce concert film that did much less numbers than they expected it to. The Hunger Games prequel is like a month old, too. Yeah, like there's nothing. But Godzilla minus one. They did a few moves that they've never done before. Number one, they released it a month after it came out in Japan. Mm -hmm. That's like the quickest they've ever done. They also self-distributed it, so they didn't have to be at the whims of a studio. It was like, cut this, only English dub. Like, Toho was able to just get it out there, and they expanded as the weeks have gone on. It's amazing. A movie like Godzilla Minus One, like, 
a, a niche genre film when it opens in the U.S. typically like has an opening weekend and then falls 90% in the second week. Mm. This movie has legs. People are discovering this movie and loving it. And when I was there, I was shocked at how many kids were in the audience. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is a subtitles movie. I don't know if they're ready. Didn't budge. They loved it. The little girl behind me at one point went, Godzilla is unstoppable. Yeah. And which is exactly the the feeling you want to instill in a child seeing a Godzilla film. I saw it in a very busy matinee, mm-hmm. you know, in its second week in, in the IMAX. And you could just tell everyone was having a great time. Could this be like a holiday hit? Could it like continue to have these legs as it goes on? Because like, what's coming out? Wonka? Like, is that a film anyone is excited for? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But Godzilla Minus One, what did you think about it, Will? I thought it was quite good. Yeah. I think it it does some interesting things with the Godzilla mythology. Like, it's the first one to be a period piece. It takes place after the Second World War, and it's about sort of the disaffected and disillusioned soldiers of the Second World War kind of banding together out of the ashes to take down Godzilla. And I found it kind of moving. Now, I've seen a lot of criticism about things like there the American occupation does not exist in this world of Godzilla uh-huh. and like it was very present during World War II in yeah. Tokyo and that like you can look at it if you kind of squint more populist kind of boomer nostalgia for an era that doesn't exist that the director did not live in especially through the filter of that's been the director's bread and butter making like have ah, the good old days you know when things were were fine I get that but mm. then you could also look at it in the context of the present day when things are like bad so so bad yes. and when we all feel sort of abandoned by our leadership and or I mean, the at least alienated. It's completely yeah. not there in this movie. Like yeah. you don't even see any official. You don't see yeah. anything. I enjoyed no bad guys in this movie on the human side, which is a rarity in like Godzilla films. Yeah. Yeah. And the final, like the, the last 30 minutes of the movie, I think is spectacularly suspenseful mm-hmm. and entertaining. Godzilla is scary in the film. He's, yes. he's a massive threat. So when I heard about this and they're like, we're going back to the basics. I'm like, no, no. Everybody always does this when they reboot Godzilla going like, we're going back to the original. And it's like, no, thank you. I, I, that's not what I want. This is the one that it worked with what they were trying to do. And they sort of, the the final confrontation with Godzilla is sort of like the Death Star, you Mm -hmm. know, where they tell you, okay, here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to do it. And now we're going to show you a little bit of a twist. But you know what that twist is, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I thought, I also found it refreshing that like, it doesn't really end on a happy note. It ends with something that I've seen a lot of reviewers go, oh, so unbelievable. Oh, come on. It's like, yeah, but... That character is going to die. There's a close-up just to let you know, like, yeah, but she's been hurt. And I was totally fine with the ending. Yeah, it didn't bother me at all. And and it's like, can we have just a little bit of happiness? (laughs) You know? Like, the whole movie is not pretty miserable in its way, but, like, you get a little bit of happiness. And, wow, a Godzilla film that actually lands an ending like that. And the thing is, you have Shin Godzilla. It came out a number of years ago. That is like the polar opposite of this film, kind of, even though it ends with people banding together. And well, doing they've still thing. got a Godzilla in it. Yes. <laughs> what did you think of Godzilla in the sense of like, I know we want men in suits. Yeah. That's all I want. Well, I, I do think. Do you know they use miniatures on this movie, too? That they comped they? into, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I did like the movies a little bit better when it was obviously a man in suit in an obvious, mm. like, miniature city, just because there's something kind of non-literal about the city destruction. I mean, in the context of the present moment where we're seeing all these awful scenes from Gaza, mm-hmm. I will say that, like, all the city it destruction stuff, yeah, well, it just reminds you of the awful things you're seeing on, like, Twitter and TikTok all the time, mm-hmm. which... 
you know, I, I, that's not really a complaint. Yeah. Like, I think the movie treats what it's depicting with us with as much moral seriousness as a Godzilla movie can. Mm-hmm. Doesn't. I mean, it, it is like the Roland Emmerich kind of way of the, of like taking this stuff. Well, maybe not as jokey as that. Yeah. But like it's working on certainly that kind of level. Mind you, I mean, the original Ishiro Honda Godzilla is quite terrifying mm-hmm. in its way. I saw some people point out, though, that like it is kind of not a Shiro Honda-esque in the sense that Shiro Honda's original Godzilla was about people reckoning with what they did during World War II mm-hmm. and like how do you continue to live after that? And now we have to deal with the aftermath. While this one is like, we're all innocents in this war. Like we're victims yeah. of what was happening. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it goes to show just as a metaphor how Godzilla has been able to just adapt to any time, mm-hmm. any moment, any dominant ideology. I do want to say though, Godzilla looks awesome in this movie. He has like big, oh. almost ping pong eyes when you see like close-ups of him. I love how mean he is the entire time. He's got personality, which yep. he always does. I mean, that's one thing that has survived the transition from the rubber suit. Yeah. Like when Godzilla was in a rubber suit, he always had personality. Well, I would argue that in the 2014 American remake of Godzilla, no personality there. I agree. Yeah, that that's the thing that they were missing in that picture. I thought Kong had personality in the mm. last Godzilla versus Kong. Yep, which we have to see the new one as well. I'm excited for it. It's yeah. co-written by Moturn fan number one, Simon Barrett. Oh yeah, friend of the pod, yeah. So yeah. he's going to bring that stuff. I look forward to podcasters named Justin and Will that are featured <laughs> yeah. in the film. Simon, I'm holding this to you as one of the many co-writers of this film. I mean, we live also in giant monster times. I remember when Godzilla King of the Monsters tanked at the box office. I was like, I guess this is it. Like, we're done with these giant monster movies. Nobody wants them. That I uh, That's fine with me. You know, we lived this through this before. We're going through it again. But then, thanks to the pandemic, like, Godzilla versus Kong was a huge hit. It was the first hit after the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. And that, like... Now we're proliferated with like TV shows, animated shows, Japan's getting in on it, staking their territory and being very successful at it. And I say, good, I'll get maybe I'll get tired of it one day, but I'm not tired of it right now. I'm sure some social scientist can say what this means about society, about looking at the world and feeling like it's being destroyed. Yeah. And that we need to kind of look through it through the, you know, lens of a fictional creature doing it that can be controlled. Are we social scientists? No. No, we're just two bozos. Do I love monsters? Breaking through things as long as I don't see like blood or guts or anything like that. Yes. So keep giving it to me. I'll keep smiling and I'll keep going to the movies.